We are in Ezekiel chapter 14, where he says, Should I let these people inquire of me? Is there anything that we can do that would cause God to not allow us to ask him some things? Would God ever not listen to us? What would we have to do to get God into that kind of a place? Because he sure seems to be that with these folks here. We're told in the word of God in Exodus chapter 20, one of the Ten Commandments is, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. That command seems to assert that we will either worship God or something else. There are people who say that they don't worship a God. I don't know if any of you had uh, heard about this, but there was a an advertisement that was done by Ron Reagan. Uh, that was just done in the last, uh, just recently, one of the uh, one of the debates that they had done. They became a sponsor. Here, Ron Reagan is uh, someone who sponsors the, and I don't know the exact name of it, the National Atheistic Society of America, or something like that. Um, his goal is to keep God out of uh, out of the. Um, uh, well, basically, I'm kind of paraphrasing. Isn't that what he said? Keep God out of the culture. <laughs> he wants to separate. Um, and, of course, he's a little misguided on that. But he ended his... Uh, did anybody hear, the, hear about the commercial? I know some other places have played it because of his uh, blatant... Um, uh, uh, just doesn't care about God, what, the, what his word said. But he said, uh, he gives his name, and he said, not afraid to burn in hell. That's how he signed off his commercial. <laughs> What's that? I said, wait till he gets there. So that, that's what he said. He said he's proud to be an atheist and not afraid to burn in hell. So I guess if you go up on YouTube, if you're interested in it, you can see it. I don't know, it's 15, 30 seconds. He's asking for people to support the uh, the group that he's got there. But there are some people who, who claim to be atheists and not worship anything. And... Um, I think God has a different view of that. He says, you may not be worshipers of me, but you are going to be worshiping something. So he says, you shall have no other gods before me, knowing that if we do not worship him, if he is not our God, something else will go into that place. There seems to be very little possibility of us worshiping nothing. We're going to be worshiping something. You can't eliminate God without creating some kind of a God substitute in, in your life. And um, in this particular chapter, he is focusing on the idols that they had brought in, and in particular, the ones that they had in their hearts, as he he called them. And so we're going to spend some time here in this in Ezekiel 14. Let's begin at verse 1. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put them bef- before them, that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Now these elders of Israel, these were in the captivity. They were in the area where Ezekiel was taken to. And they came and had an audience with Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is sitting there doing whatever it is that he he does. And uh, these elders came in and they sat down. I would, I don't know that this is necessarily the way it is but it seemed to me that he was sitting and they came in and they sat before him and according to this uh, these verses here because God said should I let them inquire of me they have something that they want to ask 
So they come to Ezekiel to ask a question. And as they came and they sat down, I guess preparing to ask their question or whatever it is that they wanted to ask, the word of the Lord came to him before they asked anything. And he said, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put them or put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Now you look at all the things that can cause God to get upset with us. There's disobedience. There's unbelief. There's all manner of sins that we can fall into. But the thing here that seemed to to get him to question whether he should take a question from him. <laughs> you ever seen somebody get up? I don't know if it's a you know a sports person or they uh, a coach of a sports team or a player. They get up there and. You know, they have some questions that are asked of them. And you can tell some of them don't want to be there. They don't want to take the questions. They don't, they don't want the questions. They, um, I'm sure that they're saying, should I be inquired of by these people? Because they, they don't want to. And the leagues will sometimes, you know, make them. They kind of mandate you have to be there. You have to get out there. And, and you can kind of tell, especially with some of the players, more so than the coaches. Every once in a while, a coach will let it slip, but more so with the players. You can tell, I don't want to be here, and if you get me mad, I'm leaving. <laughs> and they sometimes just, just go off there and do. But God says, should I let myself be inquired of it all by them? So just because God is available, just because this is God's man, should God allow them to ask a question? Sometimes we feel like we had the right to ask a question. And um, I don't know, maybe... I think we got a little confusion on what our rights are. I don't know where I came upon it or how I came upon it, but apparently some, uh, sometime in recent times there's a bunch of these teenagers or young kids, maybe college age, or they're young, and they had uh, locked arms or done something. They went across the road and blocked the traffic. They had this big sign on there. It was talking about, you know, uh, they wanted them to, to walk the talk, I think it was the sign. And... Um, blocking people from going where they had to go. One guy just got so upset at it, he came over, ripped the sign out of their hands, ran over to the, or he just casually walked over with purpose to the fence, threw their sign over at the fence, and was walking on back to the car and and shouting at them the whole time. He said, people have to get to work. And he was mad because these people wanted to do this little display they got, and apparently they have no job in his mind. Anyway, they had no job to go to, and he does, and he wants to go to work. And so uh, one of the persons decided to put the camera, their phone, in their face, and he's having none of it. Did anybody see this? Did see that? <laughs> he's having none of it. So he goes over and he grabs the phone and throws it across the road. He's mad. <laughs> well, there's people all around that are filming this, and they apparently put this, this thing up, and they're thrilled. They're, they're thrilled with this person. They said, oh, it's about time somebody stood up and did all this sort of stuff. They're just, because, uh, you know, they're saying, what right do they have to go out there and block people from getting to work? And, you know, the people have, uh, we've seen it, the emergency vehicles sometimes can't even get through because these folks are blocking these things off and that's people's lives and they just want to get out there and protest whatever they want to do. Sometimes we get an idea that we have a right to do some things that we don't. And, of course, people are going to question, did that guy have a right to um, throw their sign over the fence? <laughs> um, then he, did he have a right to throw their phone? Well, they have a right to put the phone in camera mode and put it in his face. And it's, well, we'll let other people debate all that, but he, I just, 
bring it up because do we have the right to do all the things that we sometimes think we do? Now, we may think I've got the right to ask God or get an audience with God anytime I want to. But apparently God is saying right here, I'm debating this thing right now. I'm not sure whether I should give them an audience. I know that they want to come and inquire. They want to come and ask. But I'm not sure that I should do it. In fact, I got something for them. And so he gives, he gives them a word to deliver. We never, in this whole passage, we never get to hear if they had a, they got to ask their question. God didn't apparently take it. The only thing we have that caused God to say this in this passage is that they put idols up in their heart. We've seen all kinds of disobedience and God still comes and, and uh, receives their inquiries and delivers the words. We've seen all kinds of unbelief and still God did this. We've seen all kinds of abuse to his prophets, even later on in the New Testament to his son, and God still stood in there and, and took their questions and, and um, you know, gave, them, uh, gave them an audience. Jesus even gave an audience to the Pharisees and the Sadducees to ask their ridiculous questions until finally he decided to ask them a question and after he asked them a question, they couldn't answer it. He, they said, no more, we're not going to ask him any more questions. He'll embarrass us by asking us some more. So uh, he gave them an audience all that time. But here God, it's the first time I've seen this in Scripture where um, God said, I'm not sure that I want to, I want to take their questions. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? So they never got to ask their questions. Now, there are many false prophets that these elders could have gone to. And maybe they even did. Maybe they had this question and they inquired of their own false prophets. And maybe the answer that came, it wasn't one that um, satisfied them. Maybe it's something that just left them wanting. And they decided, let's go ask Ezekiel. Let's get another opinion on this. Let's find out something else about this. But for some reason, they either did not go to the false prophets... Or they went there and then also came over here to Ezekiel. It's not mentioned. I would think with all the things that God's picking on them for, if they would have gone there first, he would have mentioned it. But we don't see that he did. or We don't see that he says, hey, how come you didn't go over to them? So he doesn't really seem to address it either way. But he then says in verse 4, Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. So they sit down, get ready to ask a question, and then Ezekiel opens up his mouth, because he got a word from God. So either this word came to him real quick or he looked like he was receiving something from God and they hushed. I don't know, I don't know which one it was, but um, they didn't get to ask and he utters the word that God gave him. So this is what he speaks to him. Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. Now, if you are God, and you're, you're seeing this, that you're saying they've set up an idol in their heart, 
and this is what's causing them to, to stumble and to fall into iniquity. How many of you are saying that if you come and inquire the prophet of God, I'll ignore you? How many could see that making sense? <laughs> That's not what he says. He says, everyone in the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet. I, the Lord, will answer him. Hmm. That seems kind of... God seems like he's setting up an answer and then doesn't go that direction to me. He says, if you do all this, I'm going to answer you. So I went and got some other translations of this just to... uh just to check this out. In um, the New Century Version. So speak to them. This is verses 4 and 5. So speak to them and tell them, this is what the Lord God says. When any of the people of Israel want to worship idols and put up evil things that cause people to sin and then come to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer them myself for worshiping idols. Okay, that puts a little different emphasis on it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah we're going to send them an answer, but I'm going to answer it myself here. <laughs> They're, they're going to hear a word. Then I will win back my people Israel who have left me because of all their idols. So see there, his goal is to win them back. If his goal was not to win them back, he probably ignore them. The uh, contemporary English version renders verse 4 this way. Tell the people of Israel that if they sin by worshiping idols and then go to a prophet to find out what I say, I will give them the answer their sin deserves. Oh. Um, the easy to read version, but I will give them an answer. You must tell them this. This is what the Lord God says. If any Israelites come to a prophet and ask me for advice, I myself will answer their question. I, the Lord, will answer them even if they still have their filthy idols, even if they keep the things that made them sin, and even if they still worship those statues. I will speak to them in spite of all their filthy idols. That's a little different take on it. This is because I want to touch their hearts. And I want to show them that I love them, even though they left me for their filthy idols. The uh, New English translation, Therefore, speak to them and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, When anyone from the house of Israel erects his idols in his heart and sets the obstacle leading to his iniquity before his face, and then consults a prophet, I, the Lord, am determined to answer him personally, according to the enormity of his idolatry. I will do this in order to capture the hearts of the house of Israel who have alienated themselves from me on account of their idols. And one more, the New Living Translation. Tell them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and fallen into sin. And then they go to a prophet asking for a message. So I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer their great idolatry deserves. That part, that phrase there, multiply idols. That's actually what, from what I can tell, it's actually what the Hebrew says, multiply uh, idols. Uh, but it seems like it might be some kind of an idiom to them. That it, it has a, you know, sometimes we have a phrase that uh, says one thing, but it, we have a meaning behind it. And so I was picking up from some of the things I was reading that there, it may be one of those things that's a phrase, but uh, it has a meaning to them. So I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer their great idolatry deserves. I will do this to the to capture their minds, or the minds and the hearts of all my people who have turned from me to worship their detestable idols. And he calls it their detestable idols in, in that version. So they've set up idols in their heart. Now, if when it talks about setting up an idol in your heart, 
this is a group of people here who have put up idols outside of themselves. They have idols that are out by the temple. They have idols that are out by their homes. They have idols that are out by the high places. They have idols all over. So there are physical idols that they can go to. But he's not talking about those physical idols. If you go worship a physical idol, you are doing it out in the open. What he's talking about is that these are people who operate in a way to pretend to be a worshiper of God, but in their hearts, it says they have set up idols of worship. So they're doing it in their hearts. They're doing it inside so that people can't see. So it would seem that they're trying to put out one particular one view in one way to, to people, but inside, God sees something different. And you know, God does not like hypocrisy. He doesn't like it when we do one thing outside, outwardly, but inwardly, we're doing something different. It's something that just seems to... to uh, be one of those things that he hates. So there's, it's not talking about physical idols, but ones that they set up in their hearts where no one can see. Of course, God can. So this would seem to indicate they know that they shouldn't have this and they try and keep it a secret. Anything that you're doing that's hidden from view, you know you shouldn't do it, but you're doing it anyway. These idols cause, cause their worshipers to fall into iniquity and to be estranged from God, he says. So these things that they set up in the heart, these idols that they put in the heart, they are leading them in a the wrong way. They're leading them down the wrong path. They pulls them into a place of, of sin. Verse 6, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent, turn from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. So this is what he has to say about them. He's outlined the problem. Again, they can't come and ask him anything. They've outlined the problem. And he says, here's the answer. Repent. Repent. Now, if you're going to repent, you've been maybe doing this thing inwardly. But he says, uh, you need to repent. This needs to be outward. This needs to be something that you come and you make a turn of direction on. The New Century Version puts it this way. So say to the people of Israel, this is what the Lord says. Change your hearts and lives and stop worshiping Idols, stop doing all the things that I hate. Well, if you're going to repent, you got to stop doing something. You got to stop doing that kind of worship, and of course, stop doing the things that these this idolatrous worship is leading you into. Not just outwardly idolatrous, but the the one of the heart. Verse seven: For any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who dwell in Israel who separates himself from me and sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people, that you shall know that I am the Lord. So he reiterates this again with them. If you come, after you do all this, set up idols in your heart, you put before before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me I the Lord will answer him by myself it'll be me I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb and I will cut him off from the midst of my people that you that you know that I am the Lord so the path that is being resisted here verse 7 I kind of summarize it this way this is the path of 
path here, verse 7. Let me read verse 7 one more time. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who separates himself from me. That's the first thing. Separates himself from me. Secondly, and sets up his idols in his heart. That's the second thing. And third, puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity. Those are the three things. That's the path right there. This is the path that we can be resisted by God. Then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. So I've summarized it this way. First off, separation. They're going to separate themselves from God. Secondly, construction. They're setting up these idols in their hearts. Separation, construction. And third is stimulation. They're going to put what causes them to stumble in front of them. So here's the path to being resisted by God He gives you. Separation, construction, and stimulation. Constructing these idols in your heart and putting things before you that cause you to, to stumble. But it starts off first off with a separation. The separation is what, what goes on. He who separates himself from me. That's where it starts. This is where the enemy wants to, to start with people. He wants to get them separated from God. And so many times he would lead them into a false type of uh, godly worship. We've got to corrupt the worship somehow. You'll see this still even today and all through, if you have ever studied church history. Um, anybody ever gone through a course of church history? Just uh, you done anything? Done any reading on that? Uh, I tell you, it can be a dark thing to see some of the stuff that is going on in church history. I love history. And um, when I first took church history in college, um, we had one of the foremost authorities on church history in the country. He was the professor at the college that I went to, uh, Dr. Howard Voss. If you ever look at a church history book, most of the ones that are out there, you'll see VOS on the side. Voss, that's his name. And he was the author of them. He was uh, one of the premier uh, uh, people in the church history area. I sat through his class, barely learned a thing. And it was dry as could be. Which was really odd because, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bible major. Um, I like the things about the church. And I love history. And I couldn't wait for that class to be over. And just struggled through it with, with him. And he was, uh, he was tough uh, just to listen to. He was not a, a tough professor. And I didn't really see him as being all that knowledgeable. But to, to me, we went through church history. It was dead. It was dead. I had a hard time with it all. And then we went down to Raymond. I think I've told you before, we went down to Raymond. We had Dr. Cooper Beatty, who was a, uh, he had a doctorate as well. Uh, not just Dr. Howard Voss, but he, he actually went through enough schooling, had a doctorate, and he taught church history, but he brought it to life. And we could actually see the life of God all through history, because for a while, look, listen to Dr. Howard Voss. <laughs> it looked like God died. <laughs> it was, it was rough. It was, uh, it was not the easiest thing to, to see. But God had always had people that were uh, worshipers of him. And during uh, hundreds of years, there was hundreds of years uh, in the Dark Ages, as it's called. Uh, and they're called that for a reason. But in the Dark Ages, when it seemed like the church light was, was being put out, um, the authorities that were, and many of the people who were in authority in the church, were heathens. They had power in the church. They were in high positions. But they were as heathen as you could get. Not worshipers of God. Despised the things of God. 
And they burned with such anger for these things that when you had people who rose up with the truth, they squashed them. They wiped them out. They, they burned all of their books. They burned all their writings. And the only thing that we know about them is what these leaders wrote. And so they went down as being heretics because that's what they were called. They were branded as, as her, heretics. Uh, I can throw out a few names to you because some of these names have always stuck with me. But if you ever heard of the Waldensians, Peter Waldo, he was a revivalist. He was branded as a heretic. And they wrote about him. And if you read what they wrote about him, you would say, yeah, he's a heretic. But the life of God was, was much with him. And uh, there were other ones who came there before. I think I've mentioned this name to you before. I've never forgotten his name since uh, Cooper Beatty taught it to us. But you all know um, Martin Luther. Well, 50 years before Martin Luther was Savonarola. Weird name. I don't know why it sticks with me. It always does. And uh, this guy uh, had prophecies. Had the gifts of the Spirit operating in him. But he didn't have anybody powerful to stand up with him. And so they burned him at the stake. And he died. But if he would have been the revivalist that uh, 50 years later we had with, with Martin Luther... Uh, you would have seen a much different revival. Because Martin Luther, I mean, he had some things right, but he had a lot of things wrong. <laughs> he, uh, he, he was missing a lot of the life of God in some of the things that he, that he wrote. But um, God has always had people that are uh, on his side. The light has never died. And even here in this, this time, there are people, we're going to see here at the end of the chapter, there's still some people that are good. But the first thing he wants to do is get you separated. So he's going to find a way to get you separated from God. He's going to find a way to get you separated from the people that God has put in your life to bring you along. Remember what happened with Lot? Lot was going good, things were going well until, until separation came. And when separation came, that's when they had a problem. Adam and Eve, things were going good until... So the enemy was able to get separation between them and God. And the fellowship was separated. And you'll see this over and over again. Separation uh, caused the problem. And uh, even Paul and Barnabas, there was a separation that was there. If anything, it's probably on Barnabas's end. More so than, than Paul's. And, and Barnabas went off and he uh, went into a place and it seems like he died shortly after that. Because we don't have anything more from him and it seems to be an indication that on that mission trip that uh, he was a martyr. Not saying that, that that wasn't a good thing. I mean, you know, God had a lot of martyrs for, for him. But it may have gone differently if there hadn't been that separation. So once he get that separation and he gets you separated from the things of God, from the Word, from doing what you know you should be doing, he's then going to construct, set up inside you uh, idols that are in your heart. You don't have to go out there and bow down to anything. He's just going to try and get these things set up in your heart. And that's going to stimulate you, cause you to go after things that you shouldn't do. So this is the pattern, the path that God lists here in verse 7. For anyone of the house of Israel, the strangers who dwell in Israel, who separates himself from me. See, no matter how much the enemy comes and tries to pull you away, it's still you that has to do the separation. And sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity. Then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. 
I, the Lord, will answer him by myself, and I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. And they shall bear their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one who who inquired that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me, nor be profane any more with all their transgressions, but they may be my people, and I may be their God, says the Lord. Now this <clears throat> this might be a little blind to us. If the prophet is induced to speak anything. I looked this up in uh, the New Century Version, and it translates it this way. But if the prophet is tricked into giving a prophecy, it is because I, the Lord, have tricked that prophet to speak. Then I will use my power against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. <clears throat> now you know that in the New Testament talks about in the end times that God would send strong delusion. If people have given themselves to deception, then God will... Alright, fine. You want to be deceived? Here. And He'll give them even more. He'll give them even stronger stuff. He, we saw that in the Old Testament with Pharaoh. Pharaoh gave himself over to this and God said, alright, fine. We'll give you all kinds of delusion. So much so that he chased after an, uh, a group of Israelites into water that's being held up by who knows what. <laughs> I mean, I think we would have enough sense that if, <laughs> if God has shown up ten times and delivered these people, and I'm going into the waters that that same God is holding back. I mean, talk about foolishness. That is some foolishness right there. But you got to be giving into some great deception. Or we can do this. <laughs> so it seems that if a prophet, they go to a false prophet. And that prophet is induced. Or that prophet is tricked. Or that prophet says something that is not of God and passes it off as of God, whatever it might be. What God is saying is this. You guys have given yourself over. If you come to the prophet of the Lord, I'm going to speak to you. Now, if you just go to a prophet, and he's not a prophet of the Lord, you just go to a prophet, well, that prophet's going to give you some kind of a word if they get tricked into, into going through it and giving you one. Not only are you going to be held to that punishment, I'm going to hold that prophet to the punishment. Now, that's a warning to the, to the prophets. You make sure that you say what God says. But some of the prophets didn't want to be doing that. And they have enough word from Isaiah, from Ezekiel, and from some others, that if they give a word of, of prophecy that's not in line with that, or if they hear a word of prophecy that's not in line with that, they ought to be able to say, well, that's not in line with what God's been saying. And they should be able to, to go. But if they give themselves over to be tricked, or to be induced to, to speak this. You know, so, sometimes you'll hear this today, people in the area of the prophetic, well, I just felt compelled. Well, I just felt like I had to give this. No, that's not, that's not God. You don't have to give anything. You yield yourself to, to do what God says, but you don't have to do it. Some of these people will try and and say that. So they shall, verse 10, they shall bear their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one who inquired. 
that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me, nor be profaned any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, says the Lord. Now, let's go on here to verse, uh, verse 12. Seems uh, that in this verse, that if you go to a prophet, that the authentic, the, uh, it would be authenticated by the fact that God would give them a word that would identify the, the uh, idol in your heart. And if not, then you should pretty much know this is not God. Verse 12, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness. We're not just talking about dipping into being unfaithful once in a while. You just stay that way. You're just unfaithful all the time. I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. I will stretch out my hand against that land is what he's talking about. I will cut off its supply of bread and send famine on it. That's one of the problems. The, one of the ways God has been saying through all these prophecies the judgment was going to come famine and cut off man and beast from it even if these three men Noah Daniel and Job were in it they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness says the Lord it's a kind of interesting who he picks here I wonder what about Abraham Abraham almost uh, uh interceded for an entire sinful city in Sodom. He wasn't in that list. But even if these three men, Noah, well, we know Noah was righteous and we know that he was put into an ark to preserve him. Then there was Daniel. Daniel was amidst all kinds of unrighteousness, but they got preserved him in a lion's den and all sorts of other places and things that people tried to come against them. We saw they, they were trying to find false accusation against them and they couldn't do that. They were trying to find other ways to... to uh, get him to die they just couldn't do it and then there's Job Job had to intercede of course for his friends so that they would be preserved Job was the one that the, got the enemy's attention in fact even God said talking about Job that uh, Job stood out he said even to get these three men Noah Daniel and Job if they were in the land and all this stuff is going on. If those three guys are in the land, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. Now, remember, he said to Abraham, if I find 50 righteous, <laughs> if I find 40 righteous, and you got all the way down to 10 righteous. If I find 10 righteous people in the city, I'll spare it, he said. And God's saying, not by numbers, but certainly these are these are uh, uh, people of note. If Noah was in the land, if Daniel was in the land, these are all different time periods, but if they were all there at the same time, they would only deliver themselves. God would go in there and get them out. But the rest of them are going to be judged. And famine would come upon the land, is what he says. Verse 15, If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they empty it and make it so desolate that no man may pass through because of the beast. Even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered and the land would be desolate. So he's saying here, Noah and Daniel, they couldn't even deliver their kids. 
Only themselves. Job, that's it. If they were all three in the land, this thing is so bad that I'll pull those three out. But if they say, will you get this one? Nope. <laughs> they'll, only, they'll only get themselves out. And a wild beast would go on through and just start ripping people up. Because that's one of the one of the things. Now he hasn't talked about the wild beast one in most of these prophecies. That is in the um, in the law of Moses when he uh, talked about this wild beast was one of the things that would come upon the land. We haven't talked about that one as much. Mostly has been the the other areas. But here we see it in, in this one, verse seventeen. Or if I bring a sword on that land and say, "Sword, go through the land," and I cut off man and beast from it, even though these three were in it. As I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only they themselves would be delivered. Then verse 19, Or, if I send a pestilence into land and pour out my fury on it in blood, cut off from it man and beast, and even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. So he doesn't just take all the things that are coming against the land and list them all. He takes them all individually. He's trying to emphasize a point. You're not getting away with this. This is how it's going to be. If famine is going to come through the land and if Noah was in there, he could only preserve himself. Don't be trying to say, I'm going to ride anybody's coattails. Look at these people down the road here. They're so righteous. God says, uh-uh. You can take these three guys, prominent people from history. And if they were in the land, I would pull them out and I'd come get you. That the famine would come through and get you. The wild beast will come through and get you. The sword will come through and get you. And the pestilence will come through and get you. He said, there's no, there's no being spared from any of this. We're coming to get you. For thus says the Lord God, verse 21, How much more it shall be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword and famine and wild beast and pestilence, to cut off man and beast from it. Yet behold, there shall be left in it a remnant who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Surely they will come out to you, and you will see their ways and their doings, and then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem, all that I have brought upon it. And they will comfort you when you see their ways and their doings. And you shall know that I have done nothing without cause that I have done in it, says the Lord God. So looking at this from the beginning, here we got these elders. They've come and they sat down, ready to have an audience with the prophet. He gets the word from God. And he says, you all have idols in your heart. You set these things up. It's leading you into a place of iniquity. You're doing this iniquity. And these things are are moving you now. But you put them in your heart. You think they're hidden, but I see them. And it has brought you into such a place of iniquity and there is such sin in here that I don't care if Noah, I don't care if Job, I don't care if Daniel was in the land. This is still coming. I'll pull them out individually. But they cannot take anyone with them. If they had sons and daughters and those they were not following the, the way of God, taking them out. You would take out Noah's kids? I'd take out Noah's kids, what God is saying. That's right. Now, that's one mad God right there. And then he goes through and he lists each one of these things. 
and says, each one can wipe you out. Each one I'm not holding back. And each one, only these three could save themselves. Now, they're not in the land, so basically, we're not going to save any of them. But, God says, now, now hold on a minute. There's a few. There's a remnant there in the land. And this is basically to Ezekiel. He's saying to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you're going to see them. They're coming your way. They're not here yet. They're still over there in the in the land of Israel, over by Jerusalem. They're still there. But he says, they're coming. I'm bringing them here to you. And they're going to come. And when they come in, you're going to see their hearts like I see it. And you're going to see, oh, you're going to be encouraged. You're going to say, I can see the hand of God with these people. There's going to be a few. There's just a remnant. These are people. The light has not gone out completely. There is still this glimmer of light that is there. And God has said, when you see them, when they come in, they're going to encourage you. You're going to say, ah, that's what God is looking at. That's why he's bringing all this in here because he is wiping out all this other stuff. And there are these people. Just a few, just a small number. They don't have those idols in their heart. They're not going after all these other things. And God's going to bring them. So we see in the book of Daniel, we, we see about Daniel, we see about his friends, we see how strong they are in the things of God. Well, there had to be other ones like them. And God says, uh, I know where they are. And we're going to be bringing them out. And when you see them, you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be glad. He says in verse 23, And they will comfort you when you see their ways and their doings. And you shall know that I have done nothing without cause that I have done in it, says the Lord God. God doesn't do anything without cause. There's a reason for why he does it. And he says, you're going to see the reason. And you're going to see we need to preserve these. But that land is so bad. We need to just take that and just annihilate it. And God is going to annihilate it and take it out. Let it all just go go to pot. And then he's going to bring it back. Seventy years, that thing's going to sit idly by. Nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to be in it. It's going to be desolate. But then Israel's going to come back. And life will come back into that. This is what will, this is what awaits. This is what's coming. There's a remnant shall be preserved. And we're going to hear more about this remnant in words that he gets down the road from here. But is there an idol in me? I gave you four questions here that we can ask ourselves to find out if there's an idol in me. Because sometimes we can allow the enemy to build things up in ourselves to bring us to a place where we think we're like these elders here. You know, we're inquiring of God and we do the things that God wants us to do. And, but inside, we can have these idols that can begin to set up. So is there an idol in me? First off, are you willing to compromise spiritual truth for it? If we have something in our life that I am willing to compromise a spiritual truth on, that can be a sign that there is an idol in me. It's, not, it's something that's, that's not God. 
But in order to accomplish it, I need to, I need to compromise this, this thing. We're going to have all kinds of... It, it just depends on where we are and what kind of an idol that we set up. There are some truths that we can learn in the Word of God, but you can learn the truth that God wants you to be prosperous. And even though we have uh, things in the Word of God talk, tell us, you know, don't lie and don't cheat and don't steal, but the enemy can, can get that idea of being prosperous as an idol in our life. We set it up in our heart. I think this is a godly thing. And we pursue it. And we're willing to compromise some things spiritually in order to get it. I know God wants me to have that so I can, I'll go ahead and compromise this thing over here. And we can, we can do it. I remember Brother Hagin when he pulled in some of the people before he released uh, one book of his. And he told them, he says, this area of, uh, of money, he says, some of y'all have gotten off on it. He said, you've gotten off of the area of prosperity. You've gone in the area of covetousness. And most of them, I don't know about most of them, uh, some of them didn't want to hear it. And uh, there was a separation that went on after that, which was a shame. But are you willing to compromise spiritual truths for something? The things that we learn from the Word of God, the things that God has taught us that are spiritually spiritual truths, we've got to hang on to them. We can't be letting them go. Because if I would allow anything to be cut off that I believe the Word of God has told me, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt us. You know, sometimes, and this is one of the things we saw in church history when we were studying and looking at the Dark Ages, that people would stand for what they said was a spiritual truth. And the people who came against it and showed things from the Word, they just slaughter them. Kill them in the name of Jesus. And uh, that's compromising spiritual truths in order to accomplish something. We gotta make sure that we don't do that. That is not a, not a thing that we should do. Here's the second one. Will hindrances to it send you into a rage filled with anger? Not just angry. I don't mean they just make you mad. There's a righteous anger that you can have, but a rage. You become a raging lunatic about the about the thing. Because sometimes we can get that way. We just get the irate and angry and because I want to accomplish this, I want to see this thing go on, and we can just be, become rage filled. Um, an example: of this said that your uh, your schedule, the things that you put on your schedule, they're important to you. You can get so caught up in that that anything that stands in your way, you can get angry at it. Red lights, I can't stand all these red lights I've been getting. And after the first one and the second one and the third one, you just feel this rage that begins to build up inside you and you begin to do some things driving that you wouldn't normally do. <clears throat> you start getting mad at the people that are in front of you. Start cussing them out. Start declaring all sorts of destruction upon their households. And there's a rage that is uh, filling you in this. And if that's the case, it may be that we're allowing something to come up in our heart that shouldn't be there. There's a third one. 
Does it, have, does it have more value than people? It's a huge one. Because sometimes people, we can, we can get so sold out on something that we forget the value of people. We have to be careful about, about that. I mean, sometimes you can get so caught up on sports teams that anybody who wears different, different colors than, than yours, you get mad at them. Get angry at them because, you know, they're a Dallas Cowboy fan or they're a Miami Dolphins fan and they're not a whatever that you want to be. But you see, if you have the, the heart of God on these things, it doesn't bother you because people mean more than these things. And we have to make sure that we walk in those, those kind of ways. People are always more important. Sometimes we can get lost in the politics of things and some of the news things that are going on and some of the stuff that the news media does to try and get, get us irate at things. We can forget the thing that God said in here. God cares about his people. And he's, he's mad at these ones that are bringing all this destruction, all this bad stuff in. He's mad at them because they're bringing his people down. But he loves his people. Loves his people. We got to have that same love. If I get so caught up on any cause that I want to have, and I lose sight of the love for the people, I could be getting an, an idol set up in me. And just understand, not all idols are silver, gold, and, and wood, and not all idols look like Buddha. And yeah, we're talking about the ones you set up in your heart. They don't all look like idols. Very often, Satan puts spiritual principles in our heart. And there's no greater example for this than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Who to everything they took was spiritual principles. The Sabbath day is holy. But then elevated to such a high level, became more important than the people. They drag a woman out of out of a adulteress affair, throw her before Jesus. The word says she should be stoned. What do you say? They lost their love for the people. But all through that, you see, he had that love for that woman that was there. Oh, she's a sinner. She got caught in sin. Don't lose your love for people. The enemy wants to erect things in our heart. It causes us to get mad people over things that we shouldn't. Here's the fourth one. Does it move you closer to God or further away? If you've got something in your life that's moving you further away from God, get it out. If it gets you further away from the heart of God, get it out. You don't need it. It's not that important. The most important thing we have are the things of God. These are people who gave the appearance that they were followers of God, and they were elders of Israel. They had taken time to come over here to seek after Ezekiel, hear what, the God, what God had to say to them. But God says, you got idols in your heart. And you're cause, they're causing you to stumble, to fall into sins that God can't stand.
seems that God will speak to us through disobedience, unbelief, sins. God will still speak with us. You look at David. God still worked through David even when he was in all those areas of sin. But you get into this area of idolatry, it just seems like there's some limitations to the mercy that God will extend to us. Don't, ex- don't put other things up in your heart. It will take any worship. God does not like to share His glory. He says that very clearly in His Word. So what are the things that can cause you to compromise? What are the things that can cause you to get into a fit of rage? And what do you hold that's more valuable than people? These are the things that help identify what might not be a bad thing, but it was, is becoming an idol in our heart. We have to make sure that we keep them out. Because we see God's attitude towards this. These people went through all the motions and all the things that appear to be worshipers of God. But in their heart, God says, I can see there. And you've set up these idols. And you're coming in there and you're bowing down to worship these idols in your heart. These things are important to you. Don't be going in those, in those directions. People are important to God. They're so important to God that He sent His only Son to live on this earth, to die on the cross for our sins. He sees us as that valuable. If God sees people as that valuable, who are we to say that anyone is not? And anything that's set up in our heart that would cause people to be viewed as less valuable can be something that's in this classification of an idol in our heart. I, you, we all have to be careful. Because we can fall into it. We love on God by loving on the people. There's people in your life, some of them are hard to love. (laughs) But you've got the love of God on the inside of you. And you can do it. The enemy wants you to see things in their life to get you upset, to get you angry. Put a separation, a wall between you and them. Because he loves separation, he loves walls. But don't do it. Don't give in to it. Stand up against it. If you're Ezekiel, and you saw these people come in, how many of you would say, these people are despicable? <laughs> get out of my house. But he doesn't kick them out of the house. He doesn't kick them out. He speaks to them the things of God. You may be the only light some people get. Make sure that they see that light. Make sure they see the love of God in you. Make sure they don't see something that's been set up in our heart that God would call an idol. Father, we thank you for your word, for the example that you give us here. That we can make sure that idols do not get set up in our heart. But we stand for the truth. There is nothing that is more important than holding on to the spiritual principles that you gave us. For we know that to pursue anything that is valuable to you, we do not have to compromise any one of them. We know that people are so valuable to you. We look on them and we say, oh, how how sinful, how despised. 
But just like he did for Ezekiel here, you give us a glimpse of some people that are chasing after God with all their heart. We can say, ah, that's what God sees. We can go out into that world of sinners and reach them, bring them into a place of reconciliation with God. Help us, Father, to never lose heart, never lose, lose your heart, but to love on the people that are around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.